0: Hey, good morning everyone, great to be with you today, especially good to be here through the season that you're going through with um, transition with Pastor Mike and over into Pastor Shane and we must make sure we try and come on that day. It's not very often you get anything free out of Pastor Mike and uh, so this is the big opportunity there. He's probably leaving a big debt for you to have to sort out afterwards, isn't it, eh? Anyway, good to be here with you, and we're doing a series on the Beatitudes, and Jesus throughout his life gave some short teachings, but the Sermon on the Mount, we find it was a set sermon that he gave right at the very beginning of his ministry. It is the only one as such that we have recorded uh, throughout Scripture, and so he must have regarded it as like really, really important. This is the one who came from heaven. The eternal word, the word made flesh, the source of all wisdom and, and, and knowledge. This is the mind of God, and he starts with a blessing. Now, remember, the last verse in the uh, Old Testament speaks about a curse. And so Jesus here opens up with a blessing. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, and it says, Now he's, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a uh, mountainside and sat down, And the disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful. And in the verse we're looking at today, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And so this sermon that Jesus gave, it covers three chapters in chapter 5 to chapter chapter 7 in Matthew's gospel. And then at the end of it, in chapter 7, in verse twenty-eight, twenty-nine, 29, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. The religious leaders of those days, they thought they had a righteousness before God uh, by religion, by keeping laws. They thought they were a blessed people. They thought they pleased God by keeping all of these laws. And even today, the Jewish people, they strongly keep laws. Remember a number of years ago, we went to uh, Israel just before covid and uh, we arrived a little bit early before the tour party. Most of them were from the church that we're going in. And uh, we arrived, I think it was about a Thursday. And we were on the 13th floor of this uh, hotel. And um, so we just enjoyed it there. And, and then we went down on, uh, on the Saturday. We went to go down to have breakfast. And we stepped into the lift. And the lift opened up. And then we went. And, and uh, then it got to the 12th floor. And it opened up. And nobody was there. And then we got to the 11th floor. And opened up and nobody was there and 10th floor and opened up and nobody was there and it did this all the way down I was glad I weren't in Singapore or somewhere we like a 30 40 floors up there you know and so by the time we got to the bottom I was quite annoyed and uh, so I went to the man at the desk and there's a man there and he had all his um, uh, Jewish religious gear on and he was reading his scriptures and I said sir there is something wrong with your lift it's stopping on every floor and there's nobody there he said, that's the Sabbath lift. Apparently, they believe that if you engage electricity, that is work. So you don't have the oven going, you don't plug in the kettle. If you push a button on the lift, that is engaging electricity. So that is regarded as work. So they have programmed their lifts that they stop at every floor and automatically open so you don't have to work on the Sabbath. So... And so Jesus comes along and teaches that being right before God does not start with outward things like keeping laws, but internally in the heart. And, uh, and so he says, if you get the heart right, blessed are the pure in heart, then everything else will follow. He says, if you do that, then you will be blessed. And uh, some have translated this word blessed to say happy, but that is really only part of the meaning of this word. It means a whole lot more than that. In America, they did a survey in a magazine. They asked 52,000 Americans, what will it take to make you happy? And most of the answers said their happiness would depend upon circumstances rather than issues of the heart. For that example, I would say, uh, I would be happy when I get out of school. And uh, then I'd be happy when I get a job. And then once I got a job, they say, well, I'll be happy when I get married, and then once they got married, then I'll be happy when I get a divorce. And uh, <laughs> then I said, well, I'll be happy when we have children. And, and then right after that, it was interesting that says that when the kids leave home, then I'll be happy. And uh, Sounds like Pastor Mike, doesn't it? And then it's, it says, when I'm able to retire, then I will be happy. The Bible teaches that true happiness, real Christian happiness, is not the victim of circumstances. It's not something that you have done, but it is something that you have within. And God doesn't promise things. The only thing that God promises to us is, I will be with you. That is the promise of God. And because of this, circumstances may change, the devil can uh, take away, uh, he can't take away your joy, he can't take away your happiness, uh, because it's not based on things. Some people, they'll change a city, or they'll change a country, they think they'll try and escape their problems, they think, oh, well, I'll go to Australia and I'll make a new start. The problem is they take themselves with them and uh, so it's uh, not quite a fresh start. The most popular misbelief about God in our Western version of Christianity is that God wants you to be happy. Above all else, God wants you to be happy. I would love with all of my heart to be able to say to you that above all else, God wants you to be happy. The belief that above all else, God wants you to be happy in life that God doesn't want anything bad to ever ha- to happen to you, sadly, is not true. And if you start down that road of unbelief, then you'll end up to a whole lot of other unfortunate things. Let me show you what I call a theology of happiness. If you believe that God's supreme goal for you is to be happy, here's what eventually what you start to do. Number one, whatever makes me happy must be right. Whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. And then number two, we start to believe that comfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconveniences, obstacles, can't possibly God's will. In other words, if something is not going right in my life, then it must not be God working in my life. And then number three, without knowing it, I begin to worship the false God of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. If above all else, I believe that God wants me to be happy, one day I'll worship the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure and things I think wow God is blessing me when something good happens to me wow God is blessing me when I get something new I get a new car wow God is blessing me when I get a new house wow God is blessing me what about the person that doesn't get a new car or doesn't get a new house are they not blessed and here's the problem when we believe that above all else God wants us happy suddenly we are forced to believe that God exists to serve us. We have to understand God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve God. If God is there to make me happy, suddenly I reduce the great creator, the sustainer of the universe, the holy one, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning of the end, the one is from eternity to eternity. I reduce them down to some sort of cosmic vending machine. I put my money in the machine, I press a button, I've done my part. Now the machine must give me exactly what I've asked for. And literally without knowing, this is what we do we reduce God down to some kind of formula. We say, God, I said my prayers, I went to church. I try to do good things. I try not to do bad things. I put a little bit of money in the offering. I helped the old lady cross the road. I dodged my neighbor's cat when I could easily run it over. And, and I've done all of these things, God. Therefore, my headache should go, and the girl should go out with me, and I should get the job, and I should get that dream house because I put some money in. I put my money in the machine, and I press the button. And therefore, God, you should do what I want you to do. And here's the tragedy of this misbelief. Many people end up walking away from God for completely the wrong reasons because of wrong beliefs. They say things like, well, I tried church, but it didn't make me any happier. I tried religion, but it didn't work. I tried the God thing. I even went to life group. I read the Bible for a while, but I still have cancer. My kids are still rebellious. I'm not better off financially. I tried religion, but it didn't work. See, if you believe that God exists to make you happy, and then you're not happy, it forces you to believe that in somehow, in some way, God has failed. But God didn't fail. You started off with the wrong beliefs, and it led into a very, very dangerous place. Let me tell you right now, I do believe that God delights in your happiness, just as any father delights in the happiness, any parent delights in the happiness when their child has joy over something. You take, for example, if I'm watching one of my grandsons playing rugby and, and uh, they cut through the, uh, the opposition and they score the winning try you know, right under the post and, and he's happy and I'm happy. And, but then as he's walking back, he begins to abuse the opposition He tells them they're a bunch of no-hopers and they can't tackle and they shouldn't be playing rugby, they should be playing netball and all of a sudden, I am not happy. There is a deeper problem here. There is a heart problem here that needs to be addressed. Many of us treat God like this. We say, we should be happy. He should make us happy no matter what. And then we have a bad attitude to people and we're in conflict all the time and something doesn't add up. There is something wrong on the inside, God does not want us to pursue happiness. God wants us to pursue Him. We don't pursue Him for the byproduct of happiness. We're not pursuing Him so that He'll give us what we want. We're pursuing Him for who He is and who He is alone. And Jesus taught that the real source, the real blessing of lasting happiness, is what we call a beatitude. And Jesus gives us eight characteristics in the beatitude of blessed people. See, your highest calling for you is not your happiness. God's highest calling for you is that you would be blessed. The blessing of God says that we don't walk through life alone. When you're a teenager, God is with you. When you get married, God is with you. When you're struggling with your finances and struggling to pay the mortgage, God is with you. When you maybe go through the struggles of a divorce, God is with you when you're struggling with health problems god is with you when when you reach the end of your life god is with you that is the promise see happiness is based on happy, happenings the blessed life is based on god's goodness in his presence in fact the greek word it's translated as the word blessed is the word makarios which means supremely blessed or it can literally be translated more than happy god wants you to be more than happy God, when God wants you blessed, it doesn't mean you won't have a bad day. It doesn't mean that your kids won't fight. It doesn't mean that you, your car won't break down. It doesn't mean that there won't be times of conflict in your life. These things will happen. What it means is that you'll experience the goodness and the presence of God in the middle of the difficulties of life. Your happiness and blessings are not based on a perfect, pain-free life, but that God is with you through that. In fact, Jesus said, "In this world, you will have trouble." Remember, you used to have these little promise boxes. The younger ones won't remember those, but the old ones will remember. You used to have little promise boxes, and and uh, they had all these verses, and they're all good verses, and they were all wrapped up in a little circle in this promise box. And so, each day, you'd get the tweezers, and you'd get a little verse out of the promise box, and it'd be a wonderful verse that God promises you for that day. This verse was not in there. In this world, you will have trouble. You know, I'll put that one. i put that one back and get another one. <laughs> But then he said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, if you're looking for this pain-free, perfect life and you don't have it, then we start to blame God. And the reality is that God wants to be active in your pain-filled life because we live in a sinful and broken world. What I'm talking about is trusting God when it hurts. I don't need to trust him quite so much in a promotion as I do when I'm in the downturn or... A layoffs a layoff or in a crisis or there's a problem i need to trust him when i don't really understand his method of what i'm going through but i trust his outcome and just because you're blessed doesn't mean you're not going to have trials it doesn't mean you're not going to feel weak it doesn't mean that you're not going to be storms in your, your life but in the middle of those storms you can still be blessed what's that blessing it's the supernatural peace of god That goes beyond your human ability to understand or even comprehend. It's a peace that will guard your heart and your mind and your soul in Christ Jesus. And even though today you might be in the middle of a storm, you may be going through some time of grief, but in a moment, you're going through it, but in a moment... There's, there's a peace that can come into your heart. There's a peace of God that you can have in, the, in that storm, and suddenly you recognize him. I trust him even though I'm in the middle of the storm. I trust him even though my heart is broken. You can be in the middle of a trial, something that you would never choose to go through on your own. You, don't, you wonder whether you've even got the strength, you're even, even able to get to the other side of it, and yet for some reason, You sense the presence of God in your life, and you can have what is called joy unspeakable. That's what the Bible calls it, a joy that dwells up from deep within. And people are saying, you know, how can you be like you are? How can you be reacting the way that you're reacting? And you take, it can only come from God. It can only come from God. In fact, those that are mature in Christ recognize that you can actually rejoice in your suffering and your trials because you know that they are developing perseverance in you. James said in James chapter 1 and verse 2, he said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything See, when you've been through enough trials, you recognize that I'd never choose them again. I wouldn't choose what I've been through, but I know that I am who I am today because God has allowed trials and sufferings to conform me into the image of Christ. When I walked through this, I knew him more intimately. I knew him more faithfully. I experienced the goodness of God in a way that I would not have known the goodness of God on a good day. I found his goodness on a day I would not have chosen it's a blessing of God. Let me give you just a couple of points as we wrap it up. If you want God to bless you, you have to come empty. If you want God to bless you, you have to come empty. It's the key for being blessed is to come empty to God. See, it is your nothingness that attracts God. It is a void. It's a vacuum. It's the thirst that you have in your heart for God. That is what attracts Him. It's not your stuff. It's not your degrees, it's not your money, it's not your fancy house, it's not your self-sufficiency, it is the void somewhere deep down within your heart which attracts God. You've got to be empty enough to have a faith experience, you've got to be empty enough for God to get your full and undivided attention. Remember the story about the woman, and the prophet said to the woman, go and get some empty containers. He said, in order to get your miracle, don't bring me half-full containers don't bring me quarter-filled containers or three-quarter-filled containers or one-third-filled con- containers. They must be empty enough to be eligible. Let me ask you today, are you empty enough? If you've got one idea left, then you're not empty enough. If you've got a plan B, if you've got some backup plan, if you've got some contingency plan that you're going to fall back on if God doesn't come, come through, if you've got a plan C, then you're not empty enough. See, your heart is still, full and still enough filled with yourself. God said, I want you to bring me vessels that are empty. See, God values you the most, not when you're full, not when you're overflowing, not when you've got some sort of creative input and energy and something that you can think that you can bring to God that you can add into God somehow to make his work even greater. God values you the most when you come empty. And if you want God to fill you, you've got to come empty. If you want God to bless you, you've got to come empty. If you want God to help you, you've got to come empty. If you want God to deliver you, you've got to come empty. And the widow woman, she picked up the pot and she began to pour and the oil flowed and it continued to flow as long as she had empty containers. It didn't flow in proportion to the container in which she was holding, it flowed in proportion to the emptiness of the containers that were in front of her. And secondly, if you want God to bless you, you have to change focus. First thing we learn from this beatitude that Jesus is concerned with our hearts. It's not enough to clean up the act on the outside. I can dress up in all the fancy, expensive clothes. I can get the nice shirt from Kmart, and I can get the trousers from the warehouse, and I can wear all the latest gear and, and so on. But the heart is what you are. See, it is the secrecy of your thoughts and feelings that only God knows. You, we, what you are at the invisible root, matters as much to God as what you are on the visible branch. First Samuel chapter seventeen. Uh, Samuel the prophet said, as he said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus comes on a little bit stronger in Matthew when he's talking about this with the scribes and the Pharisees later in the gospel. And I'll read it to you from the Message Bible. It's quite strong. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 25 and 6, he says, you're hopeless, you religious scholars and Pharisees, frauds, You buff the surface of your cups and bowls so they sparkle in the sun while the insides are are maggoty with your greed and gluttony. Stupid Pharisee. Scour the inside and then the gleaming surface will mean something. That's quite strong, isn't it? eh? I don't think we preach like that too often today, but that's what Jesus is saying in the Message Bible, maybe not in the original translation. But uh, Jesus didn't try and come and reform society, but to change the hearts of sinners like you and me. If our heart is right, we will seek God. and we'll Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then everything, all these things that we feel are so important that we think is, is we're being blessed by, everything will be added unto us. As we pursue God, we're not pursuing happiness. We're not pursuing things. We're pursuing God, and as you're pursuing God, I find I'm enjoying God. I become soft, I become pliable, I'm meek, I'm ready to respond to his commands. In fact, David said in Psalm 37, he said, if you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. He's given me his desires. I'm now praying, God, not my will, but your will be done. I'm praying for his will to work in my life, and suddenly I'm living the blessed life. The blessed life is not the perfect life, It's not pain-free life. It is something that is better than happiness. It's joy, unspeakable. It's peace when I'm troubled. It's a supernatural strength when I'm feeling completely weak. It's a supernatural life when I need a miracle. And then thirdly, if you want God to bless you, you have to change your attitude. If you want God to bless you, you have to change your attitude. They say in flying and aviation that your attitude determines your altitude. So they have this word attitude, which uh, determines whether you're going to cause the plane to go up or cause the plane to go down. Isn't that true of us? Our attitudes determine whether we're going to go up or whether we're going to go down. Has anyone ever told you that your attitude stinks? You know, we all have struggles and some of us, our attitude is a big issue. And one of the things that we need to be aware of is that our attitude will determine our altitude. The way you conduct yourself is critical. It plays a big role. It, it helps you to achieve what direction you'll go in your life, uh, whether you achieve success in your life. having a good attitude will get you anywhere. it'll get you, it'll affect your personal life, your career, your health, uh, your relationships it will determine your walk with God. But I like to say that your B attitudes determine your altitude. See, all these beatitudes, they are dealing with the inner life of the person. They deal with the attitude towards God, your walk with God, your awareness of the inner presence of God. See, what is your heart attitude like? It will point you in the direction that you want your life to go. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. God wants you blessed. God wants you more than happy. The real promise from God is not things. The real promise from God is I will be with you, tapping into his goodness, knowing his presence, so that no matter what and in everything, God is working together for good to those who love him and accord according to his purpose. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we just thank you, Father, that, uh, Lord, your desire is that you will increase the awareness of your presence within us. Lord, you have promised that you'll be with us. You promise you'll walk us. You promise, promised, oh, God, Father, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Father, your promises are there, but, oh, God, so often we are not aware of your presence in a way because we fill our heart with so many other things. And, Father, I just pray, oh, God, help us to walk pure in heart that we will see God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.